Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. So I was thinking about what am I going to preach about today? And as you do, you know, you speak to God about it. So I'm like, God, um, what do you want me to speak about today? And I felt like he just said to me, I feel... I feel as though a lot of Christians don't think big enough. So basically what I'm going to be speaking on today is that church, we need to start thinking bigger. Because I think so often what derails what God wants to do in us and through us is often our small thinking. And we often let things like living for comfort and setting our minds on things earthly things instead of heavenly things, often that gets in the way of some of the amazing things that God wants to do in us and through us. So the title of this message is Think Bigger. And the first question I want to ask you is this, pretty simple one. I want you to think of what makes you feel uncomfortable. So have you had a a comfortable experience this week or a really uncomfortable experience with someone? So uncomfortable experiences happen all the time. They happen all the time in our lives. And I was thinking recently, what makes me feel uncomfortable? And I kept thinking about it, and I realized that pretty much everything that makes me feel uncomfortable are things that have the potential to make me look like an idiot, <laughs> or, or to make me look stupid. And um, so I was thinking about it, and one of, the, one of the first things that came to my mind was small talk. I don't, I don't know what it is about small talk. I was one of those kids in high school who always wanted to have like, deep and meaningful conversations with people. I'm like, hey man, Tonight, let's talk on MSN. We'll have a DNM. Who remembers DNMs? Anyone? Some of the younger people. So I used to have having deep and meaningful conversations, and I often felt quite awkward and uncomfortable having small talk. I mean, to be honest, a guy like me can only talk about the weather for so long. I don't even watch the news. So I'm just, I'm just gone. I don't know what to say. And eventually, with small talk, there's an expiry date on that conversation. Do you ever get there and you're like, how do I transition from here? Either I have to make an awesome segue into another conversation, or I just need to awkwardly say, all right, see ya, and head off. And it's, it's, it's kind of awkward. Actually, I have the best story. Yesterday, me and Amy went to Doncaster Apple um, to get her um, phone fixed, because the charger was, no, not the charger, the battery. There was something wrong with the battery. Anyway, in my mind, I don't know why, but I thought that an Apple shop should be really white as in the walls are white, the roof is white, like really white, because when I think of Apple, I just think of really white stuff, because like the phones and everything's white. But we walk in in there and it's really silver, okay? And I'm like, oh, I was was saying to Amy, it's really, it's not, I thought it'd be whiter. And she's like, what are you talking about? Anyway, (laughs) so we go over to the guy who's serving us and he's going to help her with her phone. And she's running diagnostics on the phone. And there's an awkward wait And that's another thing that makes me feel uncomfortable, just awkward silences. So three of us are standing there. We're looking at the phone. It's running the diagnostics. It's taking a while for it to happen. And I'm standing there, and I say, oh, man, I've got to do something here. So I say, hey, mate, how long have you been working here for? He's like, oh, about eight months. I'm like, cool. And I go, hey, be honest with me. When you first got the job here, did you think it was going to be a bit more white? (laughs) I did, I promise you, ask Amy. And the guy looks at me and he's like, you mean the people? (laughs) And I was like, oh, no, 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 not the people. I mean the walls and the room. 
And man, I felt real uncomfortable. <laughs> it was really funny. Anyway, we walked out of there, had a great day. Um, but some, something else that makes me feel uncomfortable, and I could be speaking to all the men in the room right now, and that is dancing. Put up your hand if dancing makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, my old man put his hand up. That's true. I've seen you dance, Dad. Yep. Um, so dancing can make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I'm that guy at a wedding or a party who will head over towards the bar in the darkest corner of the room and I'll just hide from the, from the DF or the dance floor, okay? So I'll be over there with my ginger beer or my Coke Zero like a good Christian, okay? And maybe, just maybe, I might get a little bit of a, like a, a foot tap going if a reasonable song comes on. Do we have some foot tappers here this morning? Yeah, we have a few. Maybe in the worship you could only really get your foot tapping. But hopefully by the end of the service we'll get some hands raised in Jesus' name. Um, so I'm a bit of a foot tapper. And sometimes, just sometimes, I might get a little bit of a, a, bit of a head wob- wobble going. But the only way that can happen is if an awesome song comes on. Like Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. Can I get a witness? Come on. Thanks, Russell. I told him that if I said that, he had to say testify, and he did, so thanks, man. Um, So that's another thing that made me feel uncomfortable. But what I've come to realize is there's so much stuff in our life that can make us feel uncomfortable all the time. And what I tend to do is always choose the path of least resistance in my life, which is the comfortable path. But what I have come to realize is uncomfortable living isn't fulfilling. So uncomfortable living isn't always fulfilling. And sometimes it's by getting uncomfortable and doing things that push us outside of our comfort zone that helps us to grow into more of the person that God wants us to be. And to illustrate this point, I'm going to show you guys a picture of a goldfish, okay? So let's get that goldfish up here. So let's name the goldfish. Um, Does anyone here have a goldfish by any chance? A few people. I'm going to call my goldfish Sparkles. Weird name, whatever. So we have Sparkles here, and Sparkles lives in a tiny little fishbowl, okay? And he gets fed every day. He's got no friends. He's a bit of a loner. Um, But he gets fed. He's living a really comfortable life. He doesn't really have to do much. Now, Sparkles is about one year old, probably weighs about five grams. Um, But the point is, he's really comfortable. Now I'm going to show you another goldfish. Now this next goldfish is also a year old, but you'll notice a difference. Let's get it up on the screen. Okay, so this, this is Gary, okay? <laughs> now, the difference between Gary and Sparkles, really, is just the environment that they're living in, okay? So even though they're both a year old, Gary is packed on a few more kgs than Sparkles, it's pretty obvious. But Gary here has lived up to his potential. Gary has grown. Gary lives in an uncomfortable environment, okay? And so often we try to choose what's comfortable, but it's actually going against our growth, and sometimes we don't realize that. And this isn't just a good thought. Let's get spiritual. Let's get biblical. So let's get a passage up on the screen. So this is out of Mark, and this is Mark 10, verses 17 to 22, and this is the story of Jesus with a rich young man, okay? And I love this story. Let's read it. So as he was setting out on his journey, and the person who was setting out on his journey was Jesus, so as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. So I'll just stop you there. So this rich young man, he's got everything. He's got riches, um, he's got fortune, he's really comfortable. Everything that he has is like a comfort blanket that's over him and his life, okay? But he knows that something's missing. He's like, there must be more to life than this. So he goes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, he gives him an answer. He's like, well, have you been following the commandments? And he goes through a set of them and he says, yeah, I have. Now, what interests me here is that's not the end of the conversation. He got, he got the first answer. But he wasn't content with that. And I believe the reason he wasn't content is because he knows there's more. Yeah. He knows there's something else. There's more to this picture. Exactly. Okay? So Jesus says, all right, let's go a step further. So Jesus says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Everything was going great for the rich young man. Everything was going really well for him. I think we can relate really well to the rich young man. Man, we live in Melbourne, the most livable city in the world. We have so much, don't we? We do. We have so much, and we are so blessed. But sometimes everything that we have... Everything that we have causes us to get really comfortable with where we are. Now, the rich young man knew there was something missing. But when God said, hey, why don't you drop everything? Why don't you really come? Come and follow me. He was unable to let go. The reason why is because he had been seduced by comfort. And it is so easy for us to get seduced by comfort in the world that we live. And what I think is, man... How much did the rich young man miss out on by not going with Jesus? I mean, probably at the time, he said, good teacher. I don't think he realized that Jesus, Jesus was the savior of the universe at the time. Um, if he went and followed Jesus, imagine the incredible miracles he would have seen. Imagine the incredible teaching he would have been under. He would have not regretted it, but he wasn't able to just step out and go. And so often it's really hard for us to do that. And I was thinking, well, why is it so, so hard for us to get out of our comfort zone for God? Why is it so hard for us to say yes and, and just give it all and go and follow him? And I was thinking and thinking about it. And maybe the reason you choose comfort is because you don't have an eternal perspective. Sometimes we lack an eternal perspective. We don't think heavenly, we think worldly. And because of this, we are unable to see everything that God has for us and the ways that he can use us and we get seduced by comfort. One of the greatest examples that I've ever come across of people who lived and thought heavenly is the story of these two women in a book that I'm reading. It's called Spiritual Warfare. It is a massive book. It's like a thousand pages. I borrowed it from Ben. And Ben, mate, you're going to get that back in about 10 years because I'm a slow reader. I'm like 100 pages through and I'm trying to get through it. But it's an amazing book. And there's this story in this book about these two women. And they lived in 200 AD. So about 200 years after the death and crucifixion of Jesus. And they're living in a really hard time. 
Like sometimes we think it's hard for us. Man, it was hard for them. So it was 200 years after the death of Jesus, they're living in the Roman city of Carthage in North America. And basically the persecution of Christians is intense. So intense that if you're caught and you're a Christian, you're not only executed and killed, but you are publicly tortured in an arena full of thousands of people. They actually say that they'll be thrown in there with wild beasts before they're killed. That is persecution. (laughs) That's intense. Sometimes I think it's persecution that I have to get up at like 7 o'clock to go to work. (laughs) But I need to get a better perspective. I've got to start thinking bigger. Um, But anyway, these two women are imprisoned, right? And they're starved. And then it comes to the day of their execution. They're taken out and they're stripped naked and thrown into this arena with a wild heifer. So a wild heifer is like a raging bull um, with horns. And in front of thousands of people that hate them. And they start to be attacked. And apparently it was so bad that even the people in the arena were crying out for it to stop. Like, no, nah, that's too much, it's too bad, you've got to stop. Have you ever really not liked someone where you thought you really didn't like them? And all of a sudden, they start to go through tragedy and you start to have compassion for them and you're like, actually, I, don't, I, <laughs> I actually do care about this person. Yeah. Well, th- that was like the people. So all of a sudden, there started to be a bit of a change in the culture of that city. But then after that preliminary event, those women are taken for the final execution. And this is the part that really gets me. Because as they're going to get executed, one of the women noticed some onlooking, grieving Christians. Imagine how terrible it would be to see your people you love going through all of that. I mean, it would just be horrible. So these Christians are on the outside looking in, crying and weeping. Now, what this woman says to them is amazing, so buckle in. She looks to them and she says, Keep on giving out the word. Stand firm in the faith. Continue to love one another and don't let suffering become a stumbling block to you. Can you believe that? She'd just, (laughs) she'd been stripped naked, thrown into an arena in front of thousands of people, got gored by a wild heifer. She was starved before that and now she's going to be executed and her response to seeing grieving Christians is saying, hey, it's all good. Don't let suffering become a stumbling block for you. God has a bigger plan. That woman has set her eyes on things above. She has set her eyes on things above. She is thinking heavenly, and man, she has not been seduced by comfort. And it's an amazing story, because what happens next is that Roman city, under that emperor, everything begins to change. All of a sudden, the persecution of Christians slowly piddles out and stops, and the Christian faith grows incredibly, and the thousands of people get saved. So it just goes to show what is possible and what can happen when we start to set our minds on things above. And that is a really extreme example, I know, but it's one of the best ones I've come across of someone who has managed to think heavenly and not worldly. And Paul says that this is so important. So if you look in Colossians, um, you can get that up. Yep, Colossians 3, verses 2 to 3, Paul says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. So set your mind on things above. Our thinking directs our life in so many ways. And I love how Ben says that. Pastor Ben says, your thinking can direct your life. And it is so true. And what also happens, I believe, is that when you choose to continue to live a comfortable life and you're not setting your mind on heavenly things, you can start to feel a little bit of a tension inside. So a little bit of attention. And I believe this, the verse that was on the screen a second ago, um, gives insight into this. Because it says, when you died, 
and you gave your life to God, your life became hidden with Christ, which is really interesting. And I was thinking, okay, when I gave my life to God, I kind of realized that stuff that I used to do, I, I don't get the same satisfaction out of it anymore. Like, I used to do a lot of, a lot of bad stuff and a lot of great things, um, and I used to enjoy it when I did it, but as soon as I gave my life to Jesus fully, now when I go back to doing that stuff, I just get no satisfaction out of it. It's not fulfilling. I just don't feel anything in it anymore. And I think one of the reasons for that is when I gave my life to Jesus, now my life is hidden with Christ. So if I want to find fulfillment, if I want to find purpose, I've got to be with Jesus. I've got to be living for Him. I've got to be setting my mind on Him. And maybe today if you're in church and you, you say you follow Jesus, and, but you're still maybe living in some of the stuff that you used to do, maybe the reason you feel attention is because when you gave your life to Jesus, now your life is hidden with Him. So it's only by walking with him and following him that you find real peace, real joy in everything that you're doing. Um, And I believe one of the reasons that it is so important for us to start thinking bigger, for for us to get outside of our comfort zone, for us to start thinking heavenly and not worldly, is for this reason. If we fail to think big, people may fail to know God. And man, that is a sobering thought. It is such a sobering thought. If you fail to think big, people in your life may fail to know God. God wants to use us. God moves in incredible ways, but he moves incredibly through people. And we are the people. We are the ones. We're here this morning and God is choosing us and he wants us to go out and make a difference in the lives of our families, in the lives of our friends, in the lives of those in our spheres. So at work, at uni, at school, you're the one. And God wants to change your thinking and lift your mind so that you are able to see things the way he sees things. And when we start thinking that way, incredible things can start to happen. Incredible things can start to happen. I've been working at Oxley Christian College for about two years. Anyone ever heard of Oxley? Yeah. It gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes for like being super strict. Yep. It's actually a really cool school. <laughs> like they actually really love their students. Point in case, we pray for our students in the morning and staff devotions. We have pictures of them. We pray over them. We write them messages. We're serious. Like we really are serious about seeing these kids come to know God. And when I first got the job at Oxley, I was... It was a bit weird, because like, I'd grown up in the public schooling sector where God is like a swear word. Just don't bring it up. As a student, if you bring it up, you'll get paid out like the rest of your life. And, and the teachers, well, they just avoid it like the plague. Like if anyone talks about God, it's like, they like, hush it down. Like it's a swear word. And that's what I was brought up in for about 12 years. So then when I go to a school and they're like, hey, everything that we do is founded in biblical truth right? We're all about Jesus. If you want to share Jesus, go for it. I was like, wow, really cool. Um, And then the other weird thing was in staff devotions in the morning, we go in, and I just mentioned how we pray for some of the kids, but I wasn't really expecting it to be so Christian. So we walk in, and I remember sitting down for the first time, and um, all of a sudden, everyone stands up. I'm like, what the heck? What's going on? So everyone stands up, so I stand up. Then everyone just starts randomly singing the song. I'm like, okay, So we sing a worship song and a praise song in the morning all together. And it's not like they're not Pentecostals. So they're all just standing there with their little sheets. And I really want to raise my hands and go nuts, but I kind of feel a bit awkward about it. So anyway, we do that. And then after that, someone gets up and starts to give a little bit of a message, starts to kind of preach for like five minutes. And that's cool. Then after that, we pray. And this is incredible. This is amazing. 
And it really started to make me think differently, and it caused me to start to think bigger. Even though it was uncomfortable, I knew it was a good thing. And then what came next made me feel really uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I felt God speak to me and he said, Matt, I want you to give the students in your year seven class an opportunity to accept me as their Lord and Saviour. And I was like, what? Are you serious? This is school. I'm employed to teach science. I'm not employed to do this. Let the chaplain do it. Like, are you serious, God? It's like, yeah. I'm like, all right. So anyway, I start to make these plans in my mind for how I'm going to do this. And something really interesting happens. Whenever I went to do this with the kids, to give them an opportunity, to kind of give them a gospel message and lead them into it, what I noticed was that every time I went to do it, I got some opposition. Like, things came up in my life, obstacles came up, and that was when I had a revelation that so often as Christians, we think when stuff starts to pop up, that that is like God saying, oh no, that's, that's not what I have for you. We start to think like, if the path is straight and easy, and if all the conditions are just all right, and if we feel complete peace in our heart, then that's a God thing. But the, fact, the reality is, often when you go after the things that God has placed on your heart, it can be difficult and it can be hard, because there is an enemy, and no way he wants me to give these kids an opportunity to be eternally saved, right? So he's going to try and come up and get in the way of that. So I realized that. So anyway, it got to the last day of the year, and it was after the final assembly, and I brought the kids in, and um, <laughs> I showed them my testimony clip that was played at church once. I'm not sure if you remember it. It was really good, but it was kind of like a, it kind of looked like an ad for The Bachelor or something. It just had that weird feel about it. So I was showing the kids this clip, and they were like, what the heck, Mr. Wynn? What are you doing? Um, but I was showing the clip, and they, they actually loved it. And then at the end of it, I put some oceans on in the background, you know, <laughs> Hillsong Oceans, Taya Smith, eat your heart out. So that was playing. And I gave the students an opportunity to accept Jesus. I told them about Jesus, what he'd done for them. And anyway, cut a long story short, at the start of that year, about maybe 40% of the class said that they had a relationship with God or would have said that they believed in Jesus. By the end of that day, every student in that classroom... <sighs> Every student in that classroom had a relationship with God. I didn't think I was going to get emotional with that. I was weird. <laughs> I practiced this a lot of times. That's never happened. Um, <laughs> anyway, it just goes to show what can happen when we decide that, you know what? God has put this thing on my heart and I'm going to follow it. He's spoken to me this way. I'm going to do it. Even if it's uncomfortable, it's going to cause you to grow. It's going to cause you to grow into more of the person that God wants you to be. And when you start to set your mind on heavenly things, when you start to think bigger, the possibilities are endless. Sometimes you can think that, oh, it's the people in ministry who are going to be the ones to go out and do the amazing things. Nah, it's us. We are the ones in our workplaces, in our universities, in our schools, we can make a profound impact in the lives of people. And I believe, I honestly believe, that pointing people towards Jesus is the number one thing. It's the number one thing. It's so important. And there's a passage, and it's the Great Commission that's given to us. And the reason why we've got to set our minds on things above is because the Great Commission requires it. 
It requires it. So let's have a look at that. And this is what Jesus said. Now, sometimes I think about this. This is before Jesus nicks off for a long time. So he's going to like leave him with something that's really important. Like this is the key thing, guys, disciples, you got to get this. And this is what he says. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Now, this is where it gets really cool. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. At Young Adults Camp um, this year, Dan Lee spoke. I'm not sure if he's here this morning, but I love what he had to say. Because he was talking about how we all have a calling. And we have a primary calling and a secondary calling. But the primary person, the primary calling of all of us as Christians is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so often as Christians, we start to think, oh, what is the will of God for my life, right? Like, oh God, like, what do you want me to do? What's my purpose? What's my calling? Well, if you're here today and you're not sure what it is, make disciples of Jesus Christ. Like, there you go. There it is. Jesus said, he said, go out and preach the gospel to whole of creation. And the really cool thing is, miracles always, always happened wherever the gospel was preached in the Bible. And that is such a cool thing. When you make this the mission of your life, when you start doing it, you better believe that God's going to show up and do amazing things. He's going to move stuff out of the way. He's going to make it possible. And I think so often we let our, our uncomfort and stuff get in the way, but at the end of the day, God is with us and He ha- has our backs. Why don't you guys just stand up? Another thing that can get in the way, I believe, is sometimes we think we are unqualified for some of the stuff that God wants us to do. Um, We can start to think, oh, who, me, why, me, really, God, me? If you think that way, you are in great company. Did you know that Moses, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush, right? God showed up, spoke to him through a burning bush. And you know how Moses responded when God was like, I want you to lead Israel, my people, out of Egypt into the promised land. Moses wasn't like, Ripper, let's do it. That's not how he responded. He responded by saying, me? Who am I, is what he said. Who am I to do this? Now, the way that God responds to that, I think is amazing. Because what God didn't do is say, you're amazing, Moses. You have it all together. You're the man. You are such a good communicator. Everyone's just going to love you and want to follow you. Nah, he doesn't say that. He didn't pump up his tires that way. And God doesn't pump pump up our tires that way. The way God responded was by saying, yes, Moses, maybe you don't have it all together. Maybe you're not qualified for this. But I am with you. I am with you. God is with you. If God has put something on your heart, He is with you. And yeah, we're not qualified. We don't have it all together. But God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So I want to pray for some people. Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church weekly podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.